0: Hey, what's up, Blazer fans? Welcome to the Blazer's Edge podcast. I am Tara Bowen Biggs, joined as always by Blazers Outsider Danny Meringue. Well, hi. And that's, <laughs> that's all I got. That's all you got. You got one foot out the door because you're about ready to head out on vacation, aren't you? Oh,
1: 100 percent I am checking out.
0: Well, knowing that, we also brought in somebody else to help out with the podcast tonight. Smooth move. <laughs> uh, Eric Griffith, welcome to the show.
2: Thanks, guys. It's uh, great to be on. I appreciate it. Hey, buddy.
0: Well, let's just get right to it because there actually is Blazer news. Sometimes these weeks during the summer, there isn't a lot to talk about, but we've got stuff to talk about. The Blazers this week or last week, depends on how you look at it. uh, Selected Nasir Little. Did I say his name right, first of all? Yeah, you can call him Nas, too. Nas Nas works, too. Okay, right on. Well, they selected Nas Little in the draft out of North Carolina. They went back to the North Carolina Duke well that they so often are have been bringing guys in from. Um, with the 25th pick of the draft, it was quite a surprise. A lot of people thought he was going to go a lot earlier. My question, let's just start off with what did you guys think of this selection? Um, Eric, do you want to start?
2: Um. Yeah, it sounds like my understanding was that he was pretty high a year ago in the rankings and that he maybe slid a little bit on draft night. But if you accept that someone who used to be really high has a lot of upside, then that's a good sign that maybe he'll be able to contribute sooner rather than later, which um, would be obviously helpful and is what you would want in a rookie. So that would be pretty cool um, to maybe help bolster the roster a little bit next year.
0: Right on. And yeah. I, what do you think, Dan? I'll say adding wing depth is never a
1: bad thing. When you add wing depth that was projected as a lottery pick, that's and you're and you're not getting the off the court issues or medical red flags or you know whatever the yeah, big time hitch in his jumper. You know, I mean, the, Nas Little was a, a top five recruit coming out of high school, credit incredibly athletic, uh, can create his own shot, high energy. He's probably working his IQ a little bit as far as on the on the, uh, the offensive end of the floor, um, but I mean. You heard Shane mentioned it probably six thousand times in his press conference. He's a salutatorian at his high school, uh, four point two GPA, National Honor Society. I mean, everybody I talked to about the kid all had rave reviews. Um, the reason he fell was because teams were looking at Tyler Harrow, they were looking at Cam Johnson, they were looking at to fill a specific need for their team. And next thing you know, you lose track of a guy because in the Seer little, even though he's. You know, thought highly of by basically everybody doesn't have that that one thing we always talk about. Right. The NBA ready skill set. The one thing you could probably squint and see is his ability to play defense. But his physicality is there. You know, there's a switch abilities there, but he's got to be able to put it all together in order to justify uh, the I don't know the chip on your shoulder mentality. Right
0: it it seemed like with this draft there were you know with the it being very top heavy and the first two or three being you know pretty much given it seemed like the way things played out there people just figured out what they needed and they actually drafted a lot on need this year cuz you know usually it's kind of like best player available best player available but it seemed like a lot of teams Had really focused in on who they wanted. Is that why there was so much jockeying for position in the like the trading of picks? That was that was just I was trying to follow on Twitter because I didn't have TV. Yeah, the the trades were so hard to figure out what happened.
2: So how many trades were there? How many picks were traded?
1: I want to say there was fifteen during the draft. That that, that that I think that were that for first round picks. Wow. So I think they changed hands 15 times. So um, the thing is here is we talked about this in the lead up to the draft right there. The whole idea of after the probably first seven picks from eight to 30 guys were slotted differently. I mean, realistically there were teams that I talked to that had a guy in the lottery and another team had him at 46. That's insane. So a team loves a guy sees he's available, you know, 15 picks later than he should be. And they're like, yeah, yeah, no take that. You get the Milwaukee Bucks who are like, hey, um, we need to reload. And Kevin Porter Jr. is still there. Yeah, we'll go ahead and move up and take him. Like, it's it just, you saw so many different things happen. And then you saw a team finally willing to take a chance on Bowl Bowl. Um, just a quick touch on that. Like, I, I don't know why so many people were thinking that a seven-foot-two guy who has to have an entire offense and entire defense built around him to be successful, were surprised that he fell that far. But, I mean, the way that teams looked up and down the draft, sometimes they saw guys that they wanted were falling further and further, and then maybe they'll pick him up as undrafted. Jontae Porter, who was a probably top-12 pick coming into the season, went undrafted because of his medical issues. I mean, it was just... The jogging back and forth was all about value. But the problem is, or not necessarily a problem. The interesting thing was is what teams valued what and where versus another. Because where one team saw value, another team's like, sure, take them. We'll take four of your picks, you know, for that. <laughs> it's so it was really, really interesting to kind of see it all play out.
0: What do you what do you think that this pick says about where the Blazers are and what they were doing? Eric, do you have thoughts on that?
2: Um well, I, I think it depends on whether or not he's ready to contribute right away. What we saw last year was a guy who in you know, an Anthony Simons who was not ready to contribute right away. And so I think we'll know more maybe after Summer League or maybe after training camp where we can see if this was meant to be a pick that's supposed to bolster the roster right away or if it's something that's supposed to matter in a couple of years. Um, which seems to be a, you know, important distinction to make and maybe the first distinction I want to make when they draft a new player.
0: I mean, that's kind of how I was going with it. I just assumed that whoever they drafted was going to be on the normal, you know, couple year trajectory. But what it also did sh- show to me is made me think, wow, we've got the the Trailblazers have got some really nice potential in the young core, <laughs> you know, that's supposed to be coming up behind Uh, Damian Lillard and they really the the Blazers themselves kind of started that narrative at uh, the exit interviews about you know Anthony Simons and all of his potential and then there's lots and lots of talk about these the young core building behind Damian and I don't know I'm I'm believing it I'm like going yeah if these guys you know have the time to develop and mature in the system they could be they could be a really nice fit. Dan, what do you think about what the pick says about the, where the Blazers are headed?
1: Well, once we knew they were going to use the pick, I really didn't care. Right. And I, honestly, I'm glad they got a guy like Nasir Little. You just swing for the fences. And listen, I mean, you've all heard me, you know, rant and rave about the things that, that Olshea's done in the past that have drove me insane. But one thing I'm really not going to beat him over the head about is drafting an upside guy. I mean, he did it with Simons. He did it with, he obviously did it with Nasir. Uh, he did it with Lehman, Connaughton. I mean, the, the, the list goes on and on and on. Crab. I mean, say what you want about them, They're all NBA caliber players that nobody really thought were going to turn into a whole lot. So um, if you've got a guy who's got an upside like Nasir and they're looking at him like, yeah, no, that's, that's the right move.
2: Great. Can you just call Alan Crabb an NBA-caliber player? Because I might be with that. Come
1: on, list He's an NBA-caliber player. He's not a his contract-value-level player.
2: Let's see if he's still there when that contract runs out. That'll be an interesting uh, test of his NBA ability. Damn it, Eric. <laughs> Did he get a second contract? Second contract. Uh, contract uh, let's see. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a little skeptical of him still. <laughs>
1: yeah, no. I, try, I get it. But, I mean, we were talking about a second-round guy. So, if, if you give him a little bit uh, – all the ammo they've had when the, the picks have really mattered, I think they've done well with. Did they, I, I think I could obviously could have done better in the past with, with some, but eh, it's kind of what it is. And the, th- the cool thing, at least for me, is that what, what's the one thing we over the last couple of years we have really harped about with the Blazers roster construction, Tara? It's the, the cupboards bare, right? Now you the things you talked about, the young guys, right? Mm-hmm. You've you've got a second group that's kind of developing in the pipeline behind those guys. And the options you have when you have those guys available are, you know, multifaceted. You can develop them and they can plug and play and be a replacement. The Blazers, if Anthony Simons develops the way they want to, I think it makes the decision on signing a 30-plus-year-old CJ McCollum to a big deal much easier. Or it allows you to cash those chips in on a big time deal, like I don't know, the Raptors have done. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, one of the things I was kind of getting at is: are several nineteen and twenty year olds are are they still part of Damian Lillard's trajectory? You know, because they've been talking about building the team based on on that, and I'm just like trying to figure out if these guys are part of the same generation.
1: Um, I think you maybe capitalize on some of that and i mean let's let's look at the the raptors as as an example here Kawhi's not as old as dame and dame's not like old or anything but they had young guys out there who's who were real contributors and i think on timeline wise uh realistically this the chance of nasir little becoming a maurice harkless player i would say are pretty decent and i would say that he would be able to do that pretty quickly Um, I don't know if his ceiling's going to go beyond that because realistically, again, an eight, 10 year guy who gets a second contract, that's, that's a tough gig for a lot of guys to, to kind of to live up to. But if they get minutes out of him, then I think that the age doesn't matter. It's about the ability to contribute in those times. And I think Simons is going to have a huge opportunity. Um, and certainly the runway is clear for basically anybody who wants and can show that they're, they can earn forward minutes. Right. Mm
0: hmm. Yeah, I mean I I kind of was wondering if he was also because he's is he big enough to he just kind of reminded me a little bit of Aminu. And I don't think that he's probably ready to come in and, and play that role. Uh but I just do you think he would be playing a three or a four?
1: I she guess? can he's he's a three. He he's about as height wise, wingspan wise, he's the size of Wes. Okay. So in shoes he's about 66. Six. He can he can cover the threes quite easily. Uh well, let's just say in college he could cover threes and even some fours pretty regularly. I think he could take on a stretch four. I think he could take on your smaller fours. You obviously don't want him up against the the Blake Griffins of the world, but realistically to see him playing the four, I don't think it would be that much of a stretch.
0: Well, and you know, he'll if if you know, if, if even if Aminu leaves in free agency, you know, currently they have Maurice Harkless under contract for one more year. You know, if it takes him another year to get on the court, then I don't know. I'm just I'm excited. I think summer league is going to be super
1: fun. <laughs> no, summer league going to be a blast because this this is going to be the year of Anthony Simons. Remember last summer they kind of let Zach do what Zach needed to do to kind of work through a few things. That th- that's going to be
0: Am- likes summer league very. I don't think Collins likes summer league. Very summer much. league
1: doesn't like him, so that's that's fair. I mean,
0: he's. I don't know if if he's going to be going.
1: He he will. If he go, he's not playing. Okay. So he may go and just go hang out with mom and dad. Like, I mean, that's, that's a, that's a hop, skip and a jump away from him. Um, the four blazers of consequence who will be active are Simons, Trent, Nasir, and Scal. Scal
0: is going. Yeah. There's a, we tend to sometimes forget Scal, I think because he was a late addition. And I mean, uh, he's still a kid. But yeah, he's he's a he's a young one. It'll it'll be very fun to see what happens. Well, uh, one more quick draft night note: uh, after the draft was over, the Blazers added Jalen Horde on a two way contract, and that perked my ears up because, as I recall, the Blazers did not use either of their two way contracts last year. So, Ooh. what do you think is going on,
1: Eric? I know you're 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 a fan. What what are your thoughts?
2: Um. I think it's nice to see them using them. You know, it's another way to essentially have another roster spot and try out another player, kind of almost like a like a third draft pick um, in a way. And they didn't have a second round draft pick, and so it's great to basically manufacture a second round draft pick out of a two way contract with a with a rookie like that. Um, and so I think that's a maybe a good way to take a flyer on someone. So I'm all I'm all for it. I think it was a smart move. Um, it doesn't matter if he works out or not. The whole point is that you're just trying to find someone who might work out.
0: Yeah, and he was one of the guys that they actually brought in, I believe. And I was wondering if he was one of the people that maybe they had sort of had their eye on if they were going to do the option where they traded down and got some players later in the draft. Maybe he was somebody that they liked for that. And then I was just wondering if it became clear that Nasir was available. They were like, whoa, we got to just go. We got to just go. (laughs)
1: Yeah, with with Jalen, I think that they knew that he would be a second round guy. Um, it was a matter of where did where did teams see him and if he was going to be available. He was a guy that they they brought in with the intention of hey, th- these are the things that probably you know go on behind the scenes with an agent. Hey, if we don't take him, we we want first crack at him. Like we want him on the roster for summer league, and there we're going to use uh, a two way for Like we'll give you the guaranteed two way money, and then we'll progress things from there. And I think the Blazers in a weird way may have an upper hand because they've been so stingy with the two ways in the past that, you know, a team might go, Hey, you know, they're actually trying this. So they want to invest in you. So that's kind of where I think that all kind of came from.
0: With the Blazers still not having a G league affiliate. Are there any other teams in the league that don't have a G league team?
1: There's one other team, but realistically, I think, uh, or no, this is kind of what I've heard is that Adam Silver is going to make the G League mandatory for all franchises, whether or not the Blazers have one or they share one with somebody. But I keep hearing that they're kicking around Beaverton, Hillsboro, Salem. So uh, it sounds like it, it'll it's, it'll happen more sooner rather than later. Obviously, with Paul's passing and Jody taking over, one of the things that's probably you know taking place is the Blazers are reevaluating how they handle things financially, which means which might be a, a a reason for the change in uh using those two-way contracts
0: if the do the two-way contracts they don't count towards the minimum number on the roster do they because i've been stressed out all since the season was over (laughs) about how they're going to fill this roster with only a couple million dollars Yeah, no
1: (laughs) they do not count unless it goes full and it once the two-way once it was at 45 days eric
2: um, yeah, you get 45 days in um, the NBA, and then they have to decide if they're going to convert you to a contract if they have more roster space or you have to go back to the G League.
1: Yep. So they, but they do not count as far as your active roster unless you have had to make that decision.
0: And then do you guys know? I'm sorry, I'm I like asking you guys all, this off the top of your heads, but do you know if once that, once it gets contract or gets, Converted? Does it get converted into a set contract, or do they get to negotiate whatever terms they want? And they can,
2: they can negotiate. Yeah, is they it? Can negoc- Okay. Well, there's. It depends on how they do it. If they convert it, then there's. I forget. It, it converting is different than signing a contract, um, and so it depends on how the team and the agent handle it. Um, and there's a couple different paths to putting that guy on the roster, and a couple different ways to negotiate that. Um, and so depending on whether or not they choose to negotiate a different contract or not, um, it can lead to a different outcome.
0: But in either case, it gets added to the salary.
2: <laughs> the yeah. <total. laughs> yeah. If they, so if they convert or sign sign the player, then it's then it's added. You know, he's on. They need a, one of the 15 main roster spots available, um, for instance um so yeah that's they were they were able to sign wade baldwin in the middle of the season for example because they weren't carrying 15 players at the time if they had been carrying 15 players to put him on the roster they would have needed to make a spot for him
0: that's right um
2: players can also choose to stay as a two-way player and reject being converted or signing a new contract daniel house with the rockets last year Mm -hmm. didn't like what they were offering him and so he said i'm good guys i'll stay in the g-league and choose to be a free agent in the summer instead,
1: because now he's going to get money. Yeah, That's uh, right. Yeah, I mean, back to the whole idea of, of summer league here. This is—I think this is really going to be a fun summer league. I, I think this is going to have more excitement to it, even though they don't have necessarily the the big name draft pick or a lot of hype coming into the draft. They have a you know four guys out there, two of which are. Being counted on to produce, and maybe one more. I mean, realistically, like when you're talking about Terry, the whole idea of filling out the roster. The Blazers don't fill out the roster. Gary Trent may be getting a lot more minutes than we're anticipating. On top of Anthony Simon, so some of these guys that are going to be featured out there are going to be, uh, you know, guys that are,
0: may matter a ton in the uh, in the rotation. They also have a championship to defend, sir. Do not forget uh, that. The- I'm not forgetting it. Come on now. <laughs> so excited. OK, well, let's move on and talk about some of the things to get ready for the free agency period. Is it is it technically it's it's technically the free agency moratorium period? I don't, I don't want to get my you know, I don't want to call it the wrong thing. So what should I actually be calling what's happening on June 30th?
2: Well, it kind of already is happening, so I wouldn't (laughs) worry too much about it.
0: Just throw the it's happening.
1: It's happening right now. Well,
2: I mean, Nick Stauskas doesn't get a call at midnight, (laughs) so and that
0: paperwork was done quick. (laughs) All right. Well, we're moving into the free agency period of the off season now that the draft is underway. Or is uh, is behind us. And Eric, you recently wrote an article where you set a baseline for the Blazers off season. I thought this was a, a really thoughtful article. But before we delve into the details of it, I wanted to ask why you decided to write something about setting that baseline.
2: Um, I think it's important that we aren't moving the goalpost every week, depending on what moves were made. And it's very easy as a sports fan to talk yourself into a draft pick or into a trade and say, this is either the best or the worst trade I ever could have imagined. Um, And so I think it's important to kind of set what your goals are ahead of time. And that way you can go back and look at those goals written down. And maybe if there's a lot of emotion behind some of the decisions that are made, you can go back and say, oh, you know what? On June thirtieth, I was hoping the Blazers do A, B, C, and D. Looks like they did A, C, and D. So three out of four is not bad. I can be happy with that. Um, and that way, if you know you strike out on signing a big name free agent, like you strike out on signing Chandler Parsons back in the day, you can still look at it and see whether or not um, you've you've hit some of the goals that you you had established ahead of time. And it fights back against. Um, kind of taking almost too optimistic or too negative of an approach because without any expectations, you can spin a draft pick to be anything you want. If you, for instance, with Anthony Simons, if you wanted immediate impact, you could say, this is the worst draft pick ever. They should have just traded it. What the hell is Olshay doing? Blah, blah, blah. If you are more inclined to positive spin, you can say, wow, this is great. They got a guy who was number five in his draft class or whatever. He's going to, he's going to be good enough to replace CJ someday. Um, and, that spin doesn't necessarily help us make informed analysis or help us keep a realistic perspective of what's going on.
0: Nice. I love that approach. It's so uh it's so balanced. <laughs> Which sometimes in the middle of the hot summer season, um, it's it's hard to find balance. So I thought this is a a really good opportunity for us to go over what you think your you know, sort of the things that you wanted to see out of the Blazers. And Dan, if you have any that you wanna add for your expectations of the Blazers. Um, and I'm just gonna sit and listen because I don't know what my expectations are. I have I still have a few days left until I have to figure that out. <laughs> so so starting with you, Eric, you, your first one was a new starter quality forward. Mm-hmm. So do you want to uh, talk about that a little bit?
2: Yeah, so I think the big thing that we've all seen and we've been seeing for the last literally, I mean, I could have copied and pasted something written in 2016 about the problem with the Blazers starting forwards being Aminu and Moharkless. Um, we saw Terry Stotts bench them like six minutes into the conference finals, basically, and shift them into a reserve role and it's been they've been looking for replacements for Nick Batum and LaMarcus Aldridge since June 30th 2015 and have not or 2014 no 2015 and have not signed anyone or traded for anyone or anything and I think we're getting to the point where that has to be addressed and I you know I don't know that you want Nasir Little as a rookie to jump into a starting role and expect him to be a serviceable starter you don't necessarily think you want Aminu to continue there, maybe as a fifth starter. Zach Collins has looked great, but is he startable for 82 games? We don't know yet. So I think it's finally time to acquire the starting forward that replaces Nick Batum or LaMarcus Aldridge.
0: Dan, your thoughts? Yes, please. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, mean, it, huh? <laughs> I mean,
1: yeah. So when I look at this team... As, as adamant as I am for, you know, putting out screenshots of trade machine stuff, it's mostly me just throwing stuff at the wall and, and hoping and praying that something actually gets done of consequence. Um, but just looking at this offseason in, in particular, it's like it's just I'm sick of the same problems becoming the same issues at the same time of the year every year. And then going into an offseason and be like, well, if I just do this, it's like, no, the love of God. The same problems that existed four years ago are still there. So let's see them. Like we we know the to kind of go with what Eric's talking about here. What the baseline is to start with. I mean the 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 opportunity to make a a move that matters. Uh, I mean a starting level forward. Let, let's. I mean we're, we're sitting example here talking
0: about of somebody.
1: I mean r- honestly, would anybody coming into last year have said that Rodney Hood is a significant upgrade as a starter? After what we saw of him in Cleveland. I don't think anybody would. And I like Hood. I would have been like, eh, it's kind of a push. But then he gets on the floor and he gives you like one night of 18 and you're like, holy crap, this is what this looks like? And I I think part of it is like when you're establishing that baseline is you have to know what it is you're looking at. And this is not to, to poop all over Ar- Arklis and Amina. That's not what I'm doing here. They're both very capable, solid, good NBA players that if they were coming off the bench, you would be thrilled to have. But as starting combo forwards in the league, they are, when measured up against the rest of the league, probably the worst. So establishing that baseline is great, but you also need to know what the baseline for productivity is for a wing in the NBA because it's so skewed for us as Portland fans that we're willing to be like, yeah, no Rodney hood for nearly 10 million a year. Sure. (laughs) You know? So it's, it's this really weird situation where I know everybody wants to, we're talking about it on Twitter right now and we'll talk about it in a little bit. The whole idea of like Kevin love makes sense. And it's like, you don't need to make a move for what would be mediocre achievement For an exorbitant price, because we've already done the exorbitant price in less than mediocre. Like, why would you want to move the bar to mediocre, but pay, you know, an exorbitant amount more? So that's the the weird thing about this offseason for me is like, yeah, moves need to be made, but God, they need to be the right moves. Otherwise, you're in trouble. But if you're walking that tight, you have to walk that tightrope so tight, because if you don't make any moves, you may be in worse trouble because that 40 million expiring just poof disappears and you don't get really anything out of it.
0: Okay. So what is that statistical baseline? Like what, what would you like? <sighs> like what does it look like? If I was looking for something, Either I'd probably, guys. I'd be looking at like 15 and five. Like if you're looking for like a
1: box score contribution, a two way wing, that gives you a 15 and five. I think that's the, the baseline for a starting level tier wing in the NBA.
0: And Eric, when you were writing it, were you thinking of it specifically with a box score number in mind, or did you have a different way of quantifying a starter quality forward?
2: Um, yeah, I think a starter quality forward is someone who's better than Harkless and Aminu. Um, like, Harkless or like Amenu,
0: like box score wise, or like
2: literally in any way. Um, Aminu is fine as your fifth starter like you can probably win a championship or compete with a championship for him as your last ditch option and is the guy guarding your um, guy guarding you know LeBron James and Paul George on the other end and doing whatever he can against them but when you have someone who else who's worse than Aminu and your main five best players that's that's not good enough for me and so just literally someone who has a bigger impact than either of those two or both of those two.
1: I mean, if you look in the league right now, Tara, if I asked you how many forwards in the league, basically all all the forwards, you know, under 6'10", so that kind of gets rid of the the, the true power forwards, how many of those guys do you think average... Well, let's put it down to 14 points a game. I don't
0: know 14, how many. 14 or more. How many?
1: 25. Okay. The Blazers don't have any of those. So the, when, when you're talking about the just the production side of this, the Blazers don't have a guy in the top 25 and they have two but they can't manage to get one in that list. So that's what I'm saying when the bar is so low for productivity on the especially on the offensive end. And that's why I think anybody who's listening right will, uh, will get kind of lost. Well, chief plays good defense or mo can play good defense. That's great. But the, as as we're progressing now in the NBA, unless you were a true all-world defender, it almost doesn't matter if that's your skill set. Like if you're like let's let's take a look, uh, look at this year a little Let's say Nasir Little is a very good defender, but he just never develops a three-point shot. Well, realistically, the way the NBA is going, there may not be a place for him because the value of the three-point shot and the way games are being called and played right now makes it so skewed in favor of the offense That if you don't – that your defense has to be so good to compensate for a lack – you have to be Tony Allen. You have to be Kawhi Leonard. You have to be a legitimate first or second team all defender to justify being on the floor at this
0: point in time. Yeah, and Kawhi Leonard can score now, so. Exactly. (laughs) So you get these
1: all-world guys and again at that wing position – that make it so difficult. That's why you're going to see with all this money out there, when these teams fall short, there's going to be a team out there that throws a stupid amount of money at Kelly Oubre jr. Why uh, a team like, you know, comes in and steals TJ Warren for next to nothing. Right. From the Pacers, why teams are willing to throw all that money on uh, Andrew Wiggins, why Brandon Ingram's probably going to get a monster contract. I mean, you go up and down the list and you're just like, yeah, no, I get it. There's, like If you can score from this position, it doesn't really matter what you can do on the other end, as long as you aren't just a complete dumpster fire.
0: Okay. We're going to move on. There's a lot of things. If I w- I'm, I'm glad that you clarified that you weren't just dumping on Aminu and Harkless, because I think if they are, you know, the, if Aminu is the fifth best starter, I like, I totally get that Aminu is not the first, second, or a third no, I mean, best starter.
1: There's plenty of those guys around in NBA history <laughs> who have been like an Aminu. Like that's the normal modicum of NBA championships, right? Two stars, a sixth man who's a legit player. And then you've got up, you know, one of those wings or one of those two-way guys at, at your big spots. And then you've gotten Aminu. Like that's like, if you go through the history of the NBA, that's what teams are, are made of. Like he's a glue guy.
2: Yeah, he's useful. I mean, I don't think anyone would deny he's useful. If anything, like, I'm never going to support him after the whole I was hacked BS. Um, So he's not going to be on my list of players who I'll ever look positively upon after that atrocity. Um, But, you know, he's useful as an NBA player. And if anything, he was getting too much hate from the poor, at least on Twitter and on Blazer's Mm -hmm. Edge and from people I was hearing. Um, he was almost getting too much criticism during the conference finals because it was sounding like, you know, basically he can't play. He's useless, blah, blah, blah. It was kind of the type of movement that, or type of conversation I was seeing, and I don't think that's fair either. He's a highly useful NBA player, and I'd be totally content with him as the fit starter on the Blazers. Well,
0: what I wanted to bring it to is that I when, when you say a starter quality forward, I would have said a playoff forward because I think that – Aminu, like you said, was the glue guy. And I believe that without him, they would not have made it. They would have not have ended up in the seed that they ended up with to allow them to have the success that they had. But I don't think that he is the type of guy who can take him over the top when it comes to the playoff type of basketball. Not that I'm saying he's not good enough, but I think he's, he's a very consistent player, which pays off during the season. But I think in the postseason – you need to be able to switch it up more, and he just didn't have as many tricks in his bag that he could that he could turn to. So he's that's playing what I a rung like above. That's what I would like to see in a forward, as somebody who has more versatility than, especially offensively, than Amido had.
1: You're spot on. He's playing a rung above, like he on, on the pecking or on the ladder. He's he's playing at three or four when he really he should be at five. That's just where he should be in the pecking order. And like, I mean, if you swap out Harkness for Otto Porter and, you know, the the skip passes to Porter in one corner, who do you think they're going to leave? Who Can can Chief now come in from the weak side and get a wide open cut for a dunk? Yeah. But I mean, this is not to get derailed too far here. The Blazers were took took and made the least amount of corner threes in the league. I mean, that, that points directly at those two guys. If you had one or the other, You'd be fine. But the problem is, is you have both, and that's the, the the issue that they're dealing with right now. I mean, you look at, a guy again, like a guy like Otto Porter Jr. shot 47, 40, 80. Like, you, you get a guy like that who offers you that much more gravity, then, yeah, Aminu's out there doing his thing where they're worried about Nurk, they're worried about Dame, they're worried about CJ, and they're worried about Otto. Now Aminu can just kind of either spot up in the corner or work free off a cut, and how much more beautiful does the Blazers' offense look?
0: Okay, we're gonna move on because we've got a few more that we want to cover of um, the base for the baseline. Eric, your second one was bench. Bench strength is maintained. Can you talk about that?
2: Um, yeah, I think after getting you know reinforcing the bench with Hood, Cantor, and uh, Curry over the course of what six months or whatever, I think that the bench was pretty strong and it was obviously significantly improved from when Nick Stauskas was a key element from it. And it got to the point where Jake Lehman, who had been, you know, he'd been starting for a good chunk of the season. He was now not even in the rotation by the playoffs. And so they had several guys they could bring off the bench who played well in the playoffs and who were for the most part reliable and they weren't perfect. You know, stuff, Seth Curry on a game by game basis, wasn't going to get you 15 or 20 points, but every other game he was able to do that. And that's good enough for your eighth player. And so kind of threading the needle between the previous point was that you also need, now you know, if you have these starters, you also need a bench that's capable of playing decently and at least have three or four guys who are capable of coming off the bench in the playoffs. And that's an open question mark at the moment because so many of those guys are free agents. So finding a way to replace those guys or keep those guys on the roster either way will be a key element to maintaining the level of success we saw over the last 30, 40 games.
0: Yeah, this one seems really hard to do. <laughs> just Because, like you said, there are so many of their free agents who they depended on for bench production uh, are going to be gone. What do you see as, like, to kind of get back to what we were talking about before, like, numbers-wise, what do you see as, what is an effective bench?
2: I... I don't know about numbers-wise. I think a key element is you have to have several guys off the bench who are capable of playing rotation minutes and who are trustworthy playing rotation minutes 82 games a year and in the playoffs. I don't know that you had that last year. Jake Lehman obviously wasn't someone who could play every game depending on the matchups. Um, Nick Stauskas was not someone who could play every game depending on the matchups. So having some guys who are reliable to come into the game and be effective against the majority of the teams in the NBA and be effective in a playoff series in limited minutes, I would say would be the biggest thing. And the Blazers haven't always had a bench of guys who are really capable of playing NBA rotation minutes. And so it was really nice to see that this last season. And you would hope that's maintained.
1: Yeah, you'd hope. And that's that's gonna that's gonna be the problem, right? Like when you look at this team, but we're trying to address the situation with Nurkic being out for.
2: Not my problem.
1: I know. I <laughs> trust me. I know. But you're look you're looking at how how do, how do you how do you physically and financially make this happen? So, I mean, uh, as much as last season post All Star break was fun and how having all those pieces were great, hoping and praying and and, and the this idea that it's all just going to work out again like you're going to have two deals that you can kick off to cleveland for for basically nothing and then have rodney hood or a player of his caliber just wave his bird rights and that uh a center as good as ennis Cantor uh is going to just be on the market for less than a million dollars because a team just wants to get off like the blazers have never been candidates for those type of guys and they like they got them all in one in one season uh, so i like i don't I just I can't expect a replication of that effort and I don't honestly I don't think think it's fair to do that where everybody's like kind of pinning a lot of their hopes on well if they just hold out until Nurkic is back and I'm like you may not be able to because you have to address a lot of issues uh particularly as it pertains to your bench now you're hoping Simon's Basically becomes your sixth man. I mean, that, that's that's the the vibe that we're getting right now. Not that he's going to step up and get some minutes. Like they're hoping he can carry. A, a, like if Dame's off the floor, Simons is out. If CJ's off the floor, Simons is out. Like that's the kind of thing they're building towards. They, they, they're all the flags are pointing towards. They're hoping for a breakout season from him. Already, um, I don't know if that's necessarily something you want to <laughs> point towards for a guy who literally just turned twenty last week. Um, but it's also got to give you a little bit of confidence if that they believe that strongly in somebody because. You can say what you want about the Blazers in the past, uh, but over the last couple of years, they really haven't gassed anybody up who didn't have a year coming. So I think that's something to point to. But how do you replace Rodney Hood if you can't bring him back? How do you place Enes Kanter when you're down Yusuf Nurkic? Like, I, I totally get what you're saying, Eric, about how to you have to build a consistent bench. It's not just able to be out there. That you get 20 games out of, but you only get 35 games games a year out of Bo Harkless. I mean, so you're, you're hoping to get You know, double that out of your bench guy, and now you have even less money and less resources and less ability to make those things happen, while also trying to hodgepodge the roster because of the injury to Nurkic. So that's that's the delicate balance they have to walk, and that, again, like hoping and praying things are going well enough by February to save them could become messy real quick.
0: So when we're talking about again establishing baselines, bench strength is maintained. Is it way too simple to say what we mean by that is that when the bench players are in, the Blazers aren't giving up points against the other team's bench? Is that like way too simple? I don't think so. Well, yeah, no, I mean, a a passable bench, like if you're going even
1: and you've got better starters than most teams which i would i think everybody for the most part would agree that a dame cj Nurkic one two three is better than most teams first three options right
2: so you you, can't argue with that yes that's undeniable
1: yeah so i mean on on most nights of the season if you get a bench who's giving you even production or plus production that's kind of the baseline level for a a bench and i don't care if it comes from a guard heavy bench uh a defensive minded bench a big heavy bench i don't care just give me the consistency and productivity from wherever as long as it's there for most of the season
0: Mm-hmm. And you like to see it at the beginning of the season, as hard as that may be. <laughs> yeah, see it come together for, early on. For you know. Real success for a real home run in in that particular category. It would be the first half of the year. The bench is strong enough to not give up leads. I mean, it, right. <laughs> From your mouth to God's ears. Okay, number three in the setting the benchmarks. Players signed with exceptions are retainable eric you want to explain that one
2: yeah that's just the seth curry rule um don't leave money on the table that makes it easier to keep someone on your team when you might need to retain a player um because if we're talking about oh it's hard to maintain bench strength because of the salary cap situation they're in well don't create that salary cap situation
0: so are you are- let me simplify that even more. So you're saying that if we're if the Blazers are going to use an exception to sign someone, make sure that, that there isn't such a huge gap between the amount that they sign for with that exception and what they may be worth the following year. Make sure that gap isn't so big that they don't walk away. Is that what you're saying?
2: That's correct. So either sign them to a multi-year contract or make sure that you make sure that you have a strategy in place to make them a good offer the following year to keep them if they work out. So you're not in a situation where you're saying, well, we can't resign any of our bench guys. Oops.
0: Even this year with the center situation, do you think that there's any reason that they may vary, you know, deviate from that? I mean, considered they don't necessarily need, you know, to sign a center to a long-term contract with Nurkic coming back, or do you think that they should?
2: Well, if you could sign Cantor to a three-year contract right now, would you? <laughs> so I, I don't think there's any harm in signing a, a, a quality backup center. And can't, I mean, in Nurkic, Nurkic is never going to average thirty minutes a game the way things are going in the NBA at the moment. Which is great, you know, that's fine. So if you're assuming he plays twenty-six minutes a night, that's a lot of minutes for a backup center. Um, and so I don't know that I, I don't know that the fact Nurkic is going to come back means that um you don't want to find a really good backup center i think it maybe reinforces that point to you know if he misses five games you have someone who is able to cover for that okay um, i can see that yeah
0: dan do you have anything to add about about the signing players with exceptions no i mean I mean
1: that's that's been the issue since 2016 right that's what we this is the th- these are the things that, that Eric and I and Dave have just kind of been like bashing our heads into the wall about for the last three years and I was like, well why don't the blazers just do this well they could just do this they could just no they they, they put the cuffs on so we, like th- they should have the ability to, to take a look at hood right now they should have the ability to take a look at Cantor right now they should have a lo- the ability to not have to basically give Seth Curry a rehab promise.
0: Okay, so you're not talking about players that were signed with exceptions. You're talking about everybody else. No, no, it prevented I, I, them from signing players. Exactly,
1: because those issue, those are the issues that it, that it, Eric is presumably talking about here. That you sh- you should have the ability to to re-sign those guys, right? Mm-hmm. To have some continuity. And, and don't get me wrong. I'll, there's a a lot of changeover on NBA benches, but good bench players are difficult to find. So when you do find them, and especially, you know, kind of like prime era bench players, you keep them. I mean, look at Lou Williams. The, the, the Clippers have the deal of the century on Lou. Mm-hmm. And they're, you know, they're, they're looking at Montrez Harrell and they're like, how oh, our, our bench may be better than our starters and we'll just keep rolling it this way. So they, they've kind of found like a market you know, efficiency and, and capitalized on it. Whereas the blazers are having to, you know, pull out the, the, the pickaxes and shovels trying to find, you know, gems on the edges.
0: That's interesting that uh, the, you took, you both took that two separate ways. Players signed with exceptions are retainable. And Eric, you talked about the actual exceptions. And then Dan, you talked about the retainable part. You guys should be on a front office team together.
2: <laughs> I out. want to. Uh, uh, <laughs> it's a lot <laughs> easier to say they did something wrong than to do something right. <laughs> I'll <Yeah>. do it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we've stopped. We've ta- we've we've talked about three of Eric's four uh, baseline setting. Um, uh tenants i guess new starter quality forward bench strength is maintained players signed with exceptions are retainable and then your last one is that money is spent wisely
2: yeah that one that one speaks that that speaks for itself it's just don't repeat the mistakes of 2016 so you have the entire taxpayer mid-level exception and Olshay was very wise to give a minimum contract to a minimum contract player in Nick Stauskas. And like, let's say a miracle did happen and they did somehow get the full mid-level exception. What I'm saying there is don't offer $9 million in a four-year contract or a three-year contract to a guy who will never live up to that deal. And that I don't need to add anything. I think we've all seen the consequences of overpaying players in the NBA.
1: And, and there's a difference between overpaying the Portland premium and, you know, overpay like the, the team. We'll talk about last year. The Blazers tried to use that that mid-level exception, right? Uh, the, the five point was a five point four last year. I think that's what it was. Uh, and they offered it to guys. But because of the implications of playing in the Portland market and the taxes that it implies and a team was able to sprinkle just a little bit more, they literally missed out on four guys. And if you, look, if you look at their contracts, you can see exactly how much those four guys signed for. And you go, wow, literally a million dollars made a difference.
2: And well, and, and for my- the record, that does not excuse not using
1: $700,000. Oh, yeah, no, I, 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 I'm not at that.
2: They, they, they had more of the mid—they did not use the entire mid-level exception. And one of the reasons they cannot offer Seth Curry very much money is because they did not use money. They just left it—it uh, it just expired.
1: They, they broke up the mid-level exception because if you remember that the deal was originally reported, reported that Seth Curry was signed into space. He was not signed into space. He was – remember because they were signed into space with a player option was the deal that somebody had out there. And it was – people went on believing that he had a two-year deal. It was weird. But oh. in reality, he was signed into the exception, and that exception was broken up and given partly to a three-year deal to
2: Gary Trent. Oh. And partly unused. Yes,
0: and 700000 of it was unused. So they yep. could have given Seth at least $700,000 more. Or
2: and didn't. now they could be offering him more than the equivalent of the taxpayer mid-level exception if they had given him all of that. And now they're way under the taxpayer mid-level exception for him. And so by not paying him more last year, they have essentially allowed themselves to be outbid by teams with taxpayer mid-level exceptions for him this year. It was, it was a complete... It was a just garbage decision with no basketball justification whatsoever designed exclusively to save the franchise basically a million dollars. And like, I, yeah, it's an, it's enough to make you not want to be a fan of the team when they do garbage like that.
0: Wow. No, These he's, he's, some...
1: he's spot on. Like
2: there, there
0: been... you remained a fan of the team.
2: I, I could, we'll see. <laughs> I, I'm much happier now than I was maybe six months ago, seeing what they did at the trade deadline, Made me feel good about this team for the first time since Marcus Aldridge left. So, um, are the
0: things that I, I wait? I gotta, I gotta poke on this a little bit more. Are the things that they do, like in the
2: front office, more
0: important to you than the things that the guys are doing on the floor? Like, well,
2: if they are not willing, if they prioritize making money and funneling more money into a multi-bajillion-dollar corporation over making the best basketball team possible. I'm not really interested in supporting them financially. Um, and so for the first time in probably three years, we saw them willing to prioritize basketball over the bottom line at the trade deadline. And so, yeah, I was I was much happier at that point. And I'm much happier now than I would have been at this time last year.
0: But it sounds like they still have some work to do to earn your trust. Do they single like every offseason, every, um, uh, trade deadline. Is it like that?
2: No, I mean, you know, training Caleb Swanigan to save money was fine because it didn't affect the basketball at all. Uh-huh. Um, and so moves that don't affect the basketball at all, if you want to save money that way on the margins, great. That makes total sense to me. I don't think mm-hmm. anyone can fault you for that, but when you sign, when you give, what was it? A quarter billion dollars, To basically five guys who are not startable in the NBA, and then you start scrimping around the corners, and it makes it harder for you to retain Seth Curry, makes it harder for you to get back to the conference finals. That's a betrayal to your fan base. That's a betrayal to Damian Lillard. That's a betrayal to CJ McCollum. And those are not, that's not an organization you want to support. And so it was great to see them finally, 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 finally spend some money at the trade deadline. And so if they keep spending money at the trade deadline like that um, this summer, then great. Then I will, I will be a huge fan. I'll write only positive things about them, but right now spending (laughs) money is the exception to the rule. Spending money is, is, or uh, avoiding spending money is, it seems to be their, their goal. And you need to see a change in that trend to, to, to say that, to say that, that they're, that they are putting basketball first again.
0: So you want them to spend all the money that they have at their disposal to spend on good basketball things.
2: Yep. And so if they are leaving resources unused, if they are, if they're, I mean, and it's, you know, it's one thing to make a mistake. You know, if you make a draft pick, like if Nasir Little doesn't work out and you still pick up his third year option and you keep him on the roster for one year too long, that's, that's, you made a basketball mistake. You misevaluated. That's different than leaving $600,000 on the table and now not, and now not being, and now a team with just a taxpayer mid-level exception can outbid you for your bench player from a conference finals team that is lacking bench players,
0: can you guys give me do one technical answer? And that is, how does what do the Blazers need to do to get the full exception, as opposed to the taxpayer mid-level exception? Eric, go ahead.
2: <laughs> um, they need to shed a bunch of money, and that's that's really the only way to say it. So, so you they would
0: to, have to make a trade to they, they'd get have themselves. to make.
2: The Alan Crab trade. So if you replaced Alan Crab with a Blazer player in that trade, the going to Atlanta and essentially getting back very little money, they would be able to unlock the full mid-level exception that way. And there's actually two exceptions. You also get the biannual exception, which is like four and a half million. Yeah. And so you you definitely if it's available and you can make a you can make a trade with a, you can make a trade like that without sacrificing a ton, it's definitely something you need to at least consider. Doesn't mean you need to do it because the price may be too high. But it's if you're not looking into that and you're in the Blazers situation, then ooh, that's not great.
1: The, the situation with the Blazers here, and this for everybody who's getting their hopes up on Rodney Hood. <clears throat> order of operations matters because once you use that full mid-level you can exception, make you. Know that now. Yes, and that is 100% real here. And so this is why the Blazers are exploring options. When you hear Neil O'Shea talking about the deals they were trying to make uh, during the draft, we're more focused on July 1st than anything else. Because order of operations matter. Because even if the, the Blazers have not had official conversations with Rodney Hood, The understanding of what the Blazers are trying to do and what their offer could or couldn't be has certainly made it to Rodney's hood camp if the Blazers are interested, right? And if they need him to hang around for an extra hour before they can put the official offer on the table because they need to make one move that opens up another move that opens up another move but you're waiting for a lot of lot of tumblers to fall into place so you can unlock that full med level exception and you need everything to line up just right so that you submit the paperwork accordingly to the MBA in the right order otherwise you could severely handicap you your your process more than they've ever seen.
0: Okay, I have one last technical question. Did, can the Blazers? I know that the Blazers, because they have Aminu's Bird rights, can go over if they want to to pay him. What what? How does it work with restricted free agents? Can they go over? Yes. Like if somebody if somebody signs Jake to a you know a ten million. I don't know what's what's his cap hold right now. I don't know if they if somebody signs him to something bigger than that. Can the Blazers go over the cap to match it? Yes. Okay. That was I mean I that's, still that's have to the easy guess. answer. <laughs> yeah, no, I have <laughs> yes. I have many other chief, hang-
1: chief and, and uh layman are simple yes or no answers too. Realistically. What do you mean simple yes or no answers? They have the ability to go over for Aminu okay. and they have and they have layman's uh RFA rights. So like those the like those are the two guys like back of mind. Like you, those are your fallback plans, right? So it's everything else in between is, is the, the situation.
0: <laughs> right. Okay. Do you think we can talk for less than like two or three minutes about the Kevin Love rumors that Channing Fry is out there tweeting about? <laughs> so Channing Fry, uh on Sunday evening said that uh, he really believes that uh, he's that Kevin love to Portland would change the whole Western conference. So it's got a lot of people excited and interested in the possibility of
1: talking with friends about this idea. That's me doing quotes. Eric, I want to get your, your, your thoughts on two parts of it. The one adding Kevin love to the financial ramifications of adding Kevin love.
0: Is that money spent wisely?
2: (laughs) Um, I, I don't know anymore. Cause I don't know. If we've seen Kevin Love motivated to play well in a while. And I don't necessarily blame him for that. I didn't, they just sit him for like half the season to yeah. tank.
1: They shut him down. He had his surgery and they shut him down. So.
2: Yeah. So I don't, I, I'm, I'm not comfortable making any kind of assessment of Kevin Love at this point, just cause we, we haven't seen him healthy and motivated in a couple of years. Um, so I think depending on the cost, it, it's it's a it's an all in move, which I'm all for all in moves. So a lot of it would depend on the cost going out, and then a lot of it would depend on your ability to assess how good he would be. And so I'm not opposed to it on the surface. Um, I think I need more information to make a decision, though.
0: So I don't think it w- I I I'm thinking that we're leading up to Dan here, who doesn't like this idea. Correct me if I'm wrong, Dan. Oh no, going no, no, no. Into- I-
1: No, I I would if if I could take if I could take Kevin Love traded to Portland and shoot it into the sun, I would. All
0: right. So in my opinion, it doesn't seem like the worst idea out there because Kevin Love can still shoot like I don't I think he's going to be like Kyle Corver, like he's going to be 53 and still shooting. I mean, I think he's always going to be able to shoot. And that's like the glaring need that the. The Blazers have. Right. And while four more years of twenty eight to thirty million dollars is not like definitely not an ideal situation, I don't think it would be insurmountable if it was going to put them in true contention. I would be willing to as if anybody cares what I think I would uh, I would be curious to explore that more.
2: We all care what yeah. you think, Dara. Come on now, but the, it's, the, it's it's a move you have to make with the assumption that you have a a good shot, or not a good shot, but you have a a shot at a championship. Because I mean, it's like a. It's not as bad as Chris Paul's contract, but it's not that far off. I don't don't
0: think it's nearly as bad as Chris. I'm sorry to interrupt, but I do not think it's nearly as bad as as Chris Paul's contract. First of all, it's a lot less money, and he's, what, three or four years at least younger? The other thing the Blazers have going on in their favor, and I don't know how I'd feel about this really, is that Yusuf Nurkic is quote-unquote only making $12 million a year, so that's locked in at pretty low. And then we have these young guys that we've been talking about this whole time as the guys who are going to be filling in and their contracts aren't going to come the, their larger contracts aren't going to come due for a while so I feel like it could be managed and it wouldn't be the end of the world and his shooting would be much needed
1: here's the thing though you know who else has shooting like that Kyle Korver
0: yeah mean, here's what too. I'm saying
1: <laughs> Like you, you can find for a lot less the money. things you can find things like Kevin Love four years ago sure but I'm not trusting his health. Y- are you trusting him playing the four? Yeah. You- so you're going to trust him to cover Kevin Durant. You're going to trust him to cover Tobias Harris. You're going to trust him to cover all of Blake Griffin. You're going to trust him to cover these guys that can all go by him now.
0: I'm going to that- trust the Blazers to figure out a way to do it.
1: I'm not. I'm not trusting Kevin Love to be a primary defender with Yusuf Nurkic on behind him and nobody else alongside him. Like he can do that in Cleveland when he's got LeBron James there, an all-world defender who knows how to turn it on when it matters. And love is a good team scheme defender, but you have to have team defenders. You've got Dame CJ, and you've got right now Maurice Harkless, who hell, he could vast slip between Fantastic and how the hell is he on the court right now? And I just I I can't justify spending that much money for 16 and 7. I, I just can't do it. I mean, we're talking just, about. Um,
2: just for the record on the salary thing, too. So 2021 22, if you assume Damian signs a Supermax and then yeah. CJ has just maintained. Million? Yeah, it's. it's Well, yeah. so for Dame, CJ, and Nurkic, conservatively, if you add love, it's 112 million. Yeah. So you're. And then Zach Collins that year is. um His our qualifying offer is seven and a half. So you're at 120 million on, on five players and. And so you're in the same situation you're in right now as far as as far as building your bench, um, and so it's a move you make thinking you can win the title immediately, and then you're pushing the cons- long term concerns down the down the road because Kevin Love's gonna have to play like an all star to justify that level of outlay on that few players, and we already saw the Warriors couldn't win the title this year because of their bench primarily because as soon as you like as soon as you don't have like multiple MVPs on your team and you're spending that much on that few guys you are going to have trouble building your team and so it's a move where you say we have a 10% better chance of winning the championship this year or next year if we do then we do it and we know that it's going to be tough in 2022.
1: And see that's the thing right there. I just I don't even think it's that much of an improvement. Like I just and I think Love's a good player. I just think he's completely the wrong fit. And that's why like, if you're looking, if you're going to do that, if you're going to spend that, the, the absurd money, it's got to be on a guy who's younger and a guy who projects to, to maybe justify some of that money. So that's when you get into the uh, the Aaron Gordon's and the auto porters of the world. Like, I just, I don't think love at this point, can his production to expenditure ratio can be justified. It's not that I don't think loves a good player. It's just those things do not match up enough.
0: I I get that. I totally get and hear where you're coming from. I'm just so used to things never working out the way that we think that they're going to. And there being so many other mitigated, you know, factors that happen that, you know, if something like this were to be the answer that, you know, that they come up with for the next two years, I wouldn't hate it. So that's not a ringing endorsement. I'm just saying when I, when I squint, I can see. How-
1: that's a perfect tie in though. That's the, to, to, to the, to the baseline of what Eric was talking about. If you have it lined out, what you're trying to achieve, you shouldn't have to try to squint and make it work. It's either it meets those goals or it doesn't. And I think that's, that's what helps you stay on track and you don't sacrifice assets cap space exceptions all of these things chasing what may or may not matter uh in the immediacy or the long term i think what's the the biggest storyline coming into this year is not that they made the western conference last year it's what do they do now how do they stay even at that level let alone
0: get better so Dan Register, still not a fan <laughs> of the Kevin nope. Love to Portland, but I get that. But I Nothing think it's, is, it's still – going. gonna people just, are still going to want to talk about it. And you know, I'm just saying I can, I can see why. And if it happened, I would adjust. I would love it if they got Kyle Korver to come in and shoot because that dude can also shoot and will be able to shoot. He'll be shooting well into his 70s. But, yeah, I but I think mean, a lot of themes probably think the same shoot. thing and want will also be trying and they have more flexibility. So when you have a team that is hampered by all these things that we've spent the last hour talking about and there's only certain ways that you can make moves to get better. It sounds like you're saying, Dan, don't – and both maybe you two, Eric, like don't make these moves for the sake of making moves. Make these make moves the right when one. they make sense uh-huh. in context of everything else. And I'm just saying – they might be the only moves that they can make in the context of everything else.
2: Just do something.
0: (laughs) Well, you guys, this has been awesome. Um, I'm really excited to see what happens next, but it's time for us to wrap it up. Uh, Let's see. How about, let's start with you, Eric. Do you want to tell people how they can find your work? And I don't know if you have anything you want to talk about that you've got coming up.
2: No, I'm good. Um, They can find me on Twitter, (laughs) Eric G underscore MBA. Um, I write, for blazers edge every now and then other than that yeah i don't have much to add so eric g underscore nba follow me if you feel like it i generally only tweet about basketball so there's that
1: it's it's it's, it's a good thing nowadays mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> and dan how about you
1: oh uh, you can find me on all your forms of social media at dmarang at dmarang and normally you can find me on blazers and outsiders on on-game nights but screw this i'm gone don't find me for the next week i'm going to mexico leave me alone.
0: <laughs> yes, you've got a very exciting uh, trip planned. I can't wait to hear about it. When you yes. now you're going to unplug and relax, right? Uh, I am going to
1: unplug and relax. The phone and laptop are coming with me. Uh, uh, my 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 beautiful, lovely girlfriend has agreed that on July 1st, I can have two hours.
0: To... Well, what about did you? You didn't negotiate for June 30th. Well, yes, that same. You
1: know what I mean. Okay. So
0: as soon as it starts. Yes. So, uh, okay, it's a big deal. Cause everybody's going to get a good night's sleep on the first night.
1: It, it is. So I, I, uh, I did get, a, did get a chance to, to get a little bit of time, but otherwise, yeah, I'm, I am unplugging. I have told all my bosses everywhere that, you know, basically after we're done recording here, I'm, I'm gone. <laughs>
0: right on well i'm very excited for you to get some well-deserved time off eric it's great to talk to you too and i look forward to more of your work appearing in blazer's edge you can find me also um on blazer's edge although i haven't written my mom's favorite column for a while that's gone on hiatus But uh, you can follow me on Twitter if you want to at TCB Biggs. You can also find the Hoops and Talks podcast under at Hoops and Talks. If you subscribe to the Blazer's Edge podcast, you will get not just the weekly podcasts that we are doing right now, but you will also get the weekly Women's Hoops and Talks podcast. So go ahead and subscribe to that so to make sure that you get all the episodes just as soon as we release them. Uh, next week we should have some fun stuff to talk about thanks everybody for listening and we will talk to you later